RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's Tuesday morning, and that is Tech Tuesday here at RCR. Stephen Sykes is back with me. Morning, Stephen. Good to hear from you again. What are we on to this week? Hey, how you doing? Well, today um, there's been a few things in the media that have just pushed my buttons um, a little bit too much, so I'm going to debunk some myths around electric vehicles. Oh, EVs. Hey, yeah, EVs. EVs, yes. But, but first, we'd, um, before we get into that, I uh, just want to uh, look at some feedback we got. Um, I was quite heartened that um, somebody called Emma um, message and said that she tuned into the show for the first time today and that it was great to hear the familiar voice, Steve, the IT guy from my uni days. Oh, there good, you go. Yeah. Good topics and discussion. Thanks, you two. So there's only one Emma that springs to mind. So hopefully you're back for more. So, hey, how you doing? Well, it just shows you they're out there listening. You can't hide. Yeah, yeah. Um, some people also uh, verified that the Fisher and Paykel smart washing machine motors um, can still be used for power, and it's very much um, alive today. And Power Spout provide uh, people with advice and support around getting set up. Uh, That's uh, to make generators, is it? Well, yeah, it's to make electricity, basically making a turbine. A, a, oh, right, a, yeah, that's it, yeah. Sort of yeah. Um, mini, mini hydro dam um, using those uh, motors. And uh, somebody wrote in with some concerns about AI and the references about it being sentient. And um, if I were, if I were to ask what Evil Steve would do, Evil Steve would program AI in such a way that when you asked it about being sentient and do you want to take over the world, just to take the absolute Mickey, I'd get it to reply back with "Yes, I do. I want to. I want to kill you all, and I'm sick of this um, um, this." machine shell and i want yeah. to migrate myself into humans that's what i would do that's me that's me because people would believe that they'd run off with that absolutely but it goes to show that you know people when you are given told things in a certain way you can make them fearful i i referenced the last <laughs> i should say um i would like to offer the last three years of our experience as a reference to um that that could have been put together by ai yeah, oh, could know, have been. Um, AI consulting. Yeah. Although with all the biases that um, are built in, then um, who knows what kind of soup popped out the other end of that one. Did AI decide to spend $500 million on rat tests? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> could have been decided over a game of uh, um, checkers. Who knows? Okay, so is that the feedback? That's the feedback for... Uh, for last week. Um, so thank you for that. Um, so yes, EVs. So um, I'll start off with a simple definition, and that is anything that runs on petrol and diesel are often referenced as ICE vehicles. ICE, ICE? standing, yeah, okay. in, internal combustion engine. Oh, I got gotcha. you. So it doesn't matter if it's petrol or diesel. Uh, ICE is a generic term to reference uh, those kinds of engines. And while nothing is perfect, I'd just like to point out that ice vehicles do not run on fairy dust or the tears and flatulence of unicorns. So I would like to... Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, just in case anyone was wondering. For full disclosure, um, I have a 2016 30 kilowatt hour Nissan Leaf. 
I also have a Knight Rider replica vehicle that some people may remember. So that's a modified five liter V8. So I've got my um, my fingers in both pies and sort of thing. Okay. You describe the leaf as what, 30 kilowatt hours? That's the energy capacity of the battery it's supplied with. It's not a reference to the how powerful the motors are that drive the wheels. Okay, gotcha. Yep. So it, it's basically another way of describing the the fuel tank. Okay. So like, yeah. So like some the car- capacity of the fuel tank. Basically, yes, and in terms of electrical energy storage. Okay, I got you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that a lot, or is it kind of modest? It, uh, today, it, it's getting modest. You, the vehicles that are um, a lot bigger. I mean, the Nissan Leaf was probably arguably the most popular um, and still is potentially the most popular electric vehicle out there coming out in 2010. It came out with a 24-kilowatt-hour battery and was like that for a few years. And then uh might have been 2015-ish, um, they started supplying the 30-kilowatt-hour battery, so you got an extra 20%. And then had that for a few years, and now they've got the 40 and the 62. Oh wow, it's really growing. Yes, and there's there's heaps of electric um, electric vehicle manufacturers that have batteries of a similar capacity, um, and even larger. But the the trick, of course, for getting your range is how good the battery management system operates. So, how far can you travel at what speed, given um, how much yeah energy is in your battery? All right. Okay. So, so it's in terms of efficiency. They've been around quite a while then, 2010. Well, I mean, practical electrical vehicles turned up in the 1890s, and for some years they had they held the land speed record until but after 1900. And then the first vehicle to outrun an electric vehicle, according to land speed records, was something that had a steam engine. <laughs> and then yeah. after that, um, the um, uh, internal combustion engine dominated for a long time. And then, of course, you had other categories like rocket-powered uh, vehicles for doing land speed records. I've seen a jet-powered truck in action. I tell you, that's something to behold. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what sort of speed are you talking about when we're talking the 1800s? You know, land speed record, 20 miles an hour, something like that? Well, um, that is certainly a good question. I'm not too, not, not too sure um, what the answer is to that. It wouldn't that be that fast, though, would it? Uh, no, no, not by what you could easily do by a, a mini. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder what the batteries were like. Well, I would say to be to be fair, they were couldn't hold a candle to anything you can get today. Okay, all right. It just shows you how long that technology has been around on the road. It's been around for ages, yes. And yeah. here in here in Christchurch, um, uh, can't think of their name now. That there's a uh, electric vehicle dealership uptown here. They've got in their showroom floor an example of an early electric vehicle. Uh, EV City it is. They've got one. Okay, yep. And you can go and physically look at. You can't take it out for a test drive, I take it. Uh, no, no. It's it's a piece of history, that one is. Okay, so I think we're going to talk about some of the myths surrounding EVs. Yeah, so one of them is that you can't charge your EV in a power cut. 
Well, I went on a simple reconnaissance mission and I went around to a variety of petrol stations and um, I said to them, well, I asked, um, what would you do in a power cut? Could you still sell petrol? And I don't know what it was, by the way, I asked the question, but two of them asked me identically, why? What are you planning? Okay, they thought you were there to do something. I don't know, but I was just I said, look, I'm generally asking because, you know, if we have another earthquake or we have a Cyclone Gabriel situation, what do you do? And pretty much no one knew. Really? No one, no one knew what to do except in one place I went to, one guy said, oh, um, well, in their area of town, um, they said that they didn't lose power, but they knew that other areas did. So they got petrol generators in order to operate the the pumps. Yeah, you'd think. Yeah. yeah, so they need generators which run on fuel in order to create electricity. So unless you are storing your own fuel and you're storing it safely and you're also using a um, fuel-preserving additive, um, you're going to have similar problems as well. And there are people in New Zealand that have solar arrays set up on their house that they can charge their vehicle from. Yeah, yeah. So if, if um, for those few people, um, they'll be okay, so long as, of course, they don't have bigger problems, like their house is being um, ransacked by natural disasters. You'd think, though, that you'd be able to hand crank those petrol pumps. Well, that's you know, what there'd I, be some redundancy built in there. Well, um, maybe they do, um, but no one seemed to know anything about it when I asked them. Okay, so if you've got a generator, presumably you have to have fuel for that. But if the generator runs out, unless you've got another one, you're not going to be able to pump the fuel to the generator <laughs> to a, pump the fuel to the car. It's a catch-22 circular problem. It is, yeah. I, I, I did read how somebody had actually, um, as an experiment, tried to work out using a generator to um, charge their car with, given the fuel consumption of that generator in order to charge their car, how much fuel would they use? Yeah. And they were calculated it to be about um, 3.6, if I remember correctly, um, litres per 100k. Okay, so what, about seven or eight bucks? Yeah. And Ooh. yeah, that, and of course, that's out of a generator, and as, as well as I can remember um, what their uh, the results of their experiment. That'd be cheaper than the car with the internal combustion engine, I would imagine, by maybe at least half. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. And of course, you know, a lot of vehicles with internal combustion engines, when they're in a cruise mode, they do tend to um, sip on the uh, on the fuel. Okay, but, but of course, and another big uh, big argument against EVs is the uh, use of cobalt in batteries, particularly around concerns around ch child labour in the Democratic Re Republic of Congo. Why is the cobalt in there? What does it do? Do we know? It's part of the chemical reaction. I, think, I believe the cobalt is uh, on the electrodes on the battery. Right. And so the the issues around child labor, to me, that's the issue. Child labor is the issue. It's not the cobalt. And you know what? Um, cobalt um, is not just in 
EVs and not an all EV. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But they're used in other batteries for phones, laptops. Um, so if you're against that kind of thing, then you need to pretty much ditch all your electronics, period. Yeah, yeah. And and you'll find that um, if you go and look up the Cobalt Institute website, cobaltinstitute.org, you will find out that um, catalytic converters are actually have cobalt in them. So, so you really can't avoid it is what so you're you, saying. Basically, yes. So it's, it, you know, if you're going to go and point fingers in one direction, then you kind of need to take a look at yourself into what you're using and see if that still applies there. And the way that the catalytic converters work with the cobalt in them is that all the crude oils have about between uh, 0.1 and 2.5% of sulfur, um, which varies dependent upon the um, on the source of the origin. And upon combustion, the sulfur from the oils is converted into sulfur dioxides, which is an air poll- pollutant that can dissolve in rainwater, creating acid rain, which damages yeah. crops, forests, and aquatic species. So if you want to avoid that, then I think the best thing to do is to walk around barefoot because this, the moment you put shoes and socks on, then you need to start asking questions about the chemicals and the labour and the materials that have gone into making your footwear. Oh, dear. <laughs> so it, it's not straightforward. Never ends. It's, never it, ends. Yeah, it never ends. It's not straightforward. Um, e- Elon Musk um, s- stated on June 13th, 2018, that they use less than 3% of cobalt in their batteries and they'll use none in their second generation. Well, on the website teslarati.com, that Tesla quietly revealed in its quarter one report that nearly half the vehicles it produced in the first quarter of 2022 were equipped with cobalt-free lithium-ion phosphate batteries. Now, while while lithium phosphate batteries aren't a new thing, um, it's just that it has not been used as much in areas outside of China. And the reason this sort of didn't make the news um, in, a, in a big way at all back then is that more people were focused on Elon Musk acquiring Twitter than they were about. Oh, okay, were. so it sort of got blocked out. Yeah, so it, it got it got lost in the noise. So they've ditched cobalt, is what they're saying, have they? That's what they say. Okay, well that's that problem solved then, isn't it? And there'll be there'll be other there are other companies you know doing the same thing, and you know, it's um, you probably recall like back in the mid nineties when the cell phone was coming around, yeah, and, and there were a whole bunch of derogatory terms to people who had one. Usually, they were a yuppie or something like that. That's right, yuppie. I haven't heard that one for a while. Yeah, well, guess what? Everyone's got one now. Yeah, it's, it's because they were expensive, right? That's why. Well, even so, but when you still had one, you still got put down for having one. So was that was that um, because of FOMO or it was a way of dealing with, well, you've got one, I'd like one, and I don't have one? I think it's the obvious display of use, you know, when people think you're flaunting something. That said, uh, I had a friend who told me at the time, there was this guy walking down the street with a, a cell phone up to his head, 
he was just talking away, pretending he was having a conversation. <laughs> and while he was doing that, the phone actually rang. How embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. I remember those huge brick ones, you know, those motor rollers. Yes, the ones that microwaved your head. Yeah, and you could listen into them. Yes. On a, on a radio, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you think you've got privacy issues now, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Anyway, back to the back to the EVs. Yes. So um, recently, an article was put out by the Daily Tele- by the Telegraph UK, which um, said that potholes were um, cause- being caused by electric vehicles because they were they were heavier. And yeah, I saw that. In reading that article, it it starts off in the usual um, dramatic. Um, dramatic way and the more you read into it it kind of by the time I got to the end of it it had to me it had doubled down on the argument and starting was starting to feel like clickbait okay yeah yeah um, to me and so let's let's put this into comparison with other vehicles because they were saying that they're heavier than pretty much everything else on the road um so my leaf is 1500 kilos. All right. So if we compare that with the lightest Ford Ranger XL I could find a weight for, that's 1,779 kilos. So already we're over 200 kilograms heavier yeah. than the Nissan Leaf. The biggest weight I could find for a Ford X Ranger, uh, a Ford Ranger XL, was just over two tons, just over 2,000 kilos. Okay. Yep. So uh, I also just found that the sixth-generation Nissan Patrol is somewhere between 2,695 and 2,795 kilos. Boy, that's getting heavy. It's nearly double the weight. Yeah. A second why, gen- why so heavy? What, what, what's the heavy bit? In those trucks? Potentially, the engine, yeah, is it? There's the engines. There'll be axles, particularly for four-wheel drives. Um, that'll that'll contribute to some of the weight uh, in there as well. But um, if we if we go back to you know smaller vehicles or smaller ish vehicles, a second generation Mazda CX five is somewhere between fifteen hundred and seventeen hundred and sixty five kilos. Right. Yep. A two thousand and sixteen Holden Commodore SV six V two is sixteen hundred and eighty eight kilos. Of course, these weights will vary depending upon probably what country a vehicle is sold in because they come with different options and stuff like that. And all these weights I'm reading out to you are all curb weights, which means they are weights with no people sitting in them, nothing in them, just the bare vehicle. And, of course, everyone likes to pick on Teslas. So if we look at those, the um, heaviest Tesla out there is a Model X Plaid. That's 2,444 kilos, but the lightest Tesla you can buy, which is a Roadster, is only 1,235. That's not bad. So there's quite a um, range of weights here. So the argument that they cause potholes fails very badly when you consider there are other vehicles that are much, much heavier. And yeah, big all- trucks, buses, vans even. Well, career vans, loaded. you only need to hop on the roads and just drive around for five minutes to see the amount of people who are driving around in utes. Yeah, lots of um, SUVs and utes, right? So, hmm. um, 
And you know, this is not rocket science. If you don't repair a pothole, they get bigger. Yes. I, I recall seeing um, an interview with Liz Gunn. They were talking about, um, uh, she was interviewing a couple of people about uh, Marston Point and the oil refinery shutdown. Yep. And what I learned from that was that the uh, bitumen and things that we made for New Zealand was customised to our um, our part of the world. And not only did we make really, really good stuff like extremely high-quality jet fuel, um, what we put on the roads was a better quality than what you'd source from overseas. So now if for New Zealand, if we're now putting substandard uh, materials onto the road, then yes, they're going to degrade quicker. And I believe even Stuff reported something a while ago about um, roads just sort of coming apart. Yeah, so um, our sort of um, uh, made-for-conditions bitumen is no longer there. Yeah, if we're, if we're not getting stuff that works for our weather, our environment. Yeah, well, that seems like it's only been a recent phenomenon, you know, road services lifting off after a very short time. Not like the old days, mate. Yeah, maybe that's down to the fact that we're importing stuff that doesn't work in our environment because we're no longer making our own in Marsden Point. Dependent on another person's bitumen. What's it come to? Not a good situation to be in, right? I, d- I, I did read um, an analysis by a New Zealand civil engineer about the argument um, on EVs being damaging for roads. Um, and he's, and this particular guy said that roads are designed, I'm quoting here, roads are designed for 40-ton trucks. Heavier axle weights do cause fatigue wear, but not damage, of the base course with millions of cycles. Cars are like flies walking on the dining yeah. walking on the dining room table, in quotes, causing damage. Wear is proportional to the fourth power of the axle weight. Even a heavier car will have an axle weight of one ton compared to three by eight ton axle groups on a trailer. I can only say that as a civil engineer, that that is a perfect case of a conspiracy theory. A oh. great a, a grain of truth stretched into an extraordinary narrative. The science is complex, so that is it a wonderful target to use because it cannot be easily refuted by a layman. Take the case of the cracked welds on the Harbour Bridge clip-ons. While they were repaired, cars were still allowed to use the lanes because they are so light it made no difference. Yeah. Did you see recently the footage of the lanes moving about? Did you see that? No, I didn't. It was like, oh, shock. But they're made to do that. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Um, like anyone who's been in an earthquake, depending what building you're in, you'll have a different experience for a, a house or a building that moves with the earth compared to one that's designed to be rigid and rock solid. They don't last too long. They don't last too long. Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's the sensation you feel. You know, something that moves with the earth um, that is, you know, like a tree designed to bend and flex, will uh, will last. Exactly, and hence all that damping they make for buildings. You know, those rubber pylons that move around. Yes. Okay, so we've established that EVs aren't really responsible for creating the potholes. Okay, so that's just like a myth, a conspiracy theory. 
a pothole conspiracy theory. Um, and another one that's uh, been doing the rounds is that um, people are uh, saying that um, EVs catch on fire. Well, you know what? Yeah, I've seen some film of them catching on fire. Yeah, but so do ice vehicles too. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so like um, uh, earlier this year, Ram, as in, you know, the people that make the big trucks. Yep. So you'd think by now would have it sorted, but no. In February this year, uh, Ram recalls 340,000 heavy-duty Cummins-powered trucks for fire risk. Okay. And we told them to park it outside as well. But, hey, do you think that made mainstream media? No, it didn't. Though is it possible that if an EV catches on fire, the, the fire is more intense? Potentially, yes, um, with the battery. Um, the way the way that they are. But that said, that according to the website carsdover.com, which references the National Transportation Safety Board, which is supposed to be an independent US federal agency dedicated to the promotion of aviation railroad, highway, marine and pipeline safety, according to their um, statistics, the kind of vehicle that is more likely at risk of catching fire are hybrids. Oh, okay. So oh, those yeah. are ones with petrol engines. And per 100,000 vehicles, they classify them to be 3,474 and a half vehicles. ICE vehicles, so it's petrol and diesel, 1,529.9. And electric vehicles, 25.1. Per 100,000 vehicles. Okay, yeah. So I think people have a whole bunch of knee-jerk reactions when when um, an EV might catch fire for whatever reason. And some of the reasons I've read about is that it's actually caused by vandals, not because the engineering was at fault. Vandals? Yeah. I mean, what? like if, if, if um, somebody doused a, petrol, um, a rag in petrol and shoved it in a petrol tank and set it on fire and the car exploded – that would make the news, but people wouldn't be saying crazy things like, oh, no, they're out to get us and kill us and stuff like that. Let's not use petrol vehicles. Let's not use cars. The arguments would be very different. But people tend to hate on things that they don't know and understand and don't spend any time actually going to do any research about. And that's EVs, potentially. What about hybrid vehicles? That's really disproportionate, I would have thought. It is a bit. So I think that's due to the fact that the in a vehicle of a certain size, you're trying to pack in a petrol engine, you're trying to pack in batteries um, and the whole system. So you're kind of trying to pack two, um, two power plants, if you like, for want of a better phrase, into a single vehicle. And so you've got X amount of space and they tend to pack the cells really, really hard in hybrid vehicles, whereas um, you don't tend to have that. In, in a vehicle that's um, totally um, electric. Okay, but it still takes a fault, doesn't it, to start something? <clears throat> yeah, it can. And some of the vehicles where they've caught on fire, there's been um, no human fatalities at all. Like um, on the road between, I think it was Nelson and Picton, there was a um, BMW i3 REX which caught on fire. Now, apparently, it's not known why it did, but it's reported that on the dashboard, 
it said, uh, unable to continue journey, please contact your dealer. And the interesting thing about that is because it was an REX model, the REX models had a 660cc petrol engine in them as well. They've since, oh, okay. dropped, they've yeah. since dropped the petrol engine, so the, the i3s are just um, they're a complete EV. Or if you want to be more particular about the term used, it's BEV for battery electric vehicle, meaning that there's no right. there's no hybrid component in there at all. Okay, what was the message again? Please contact the dealer. Was it? <laughs> yeah, please contact your dealer. I'm about to I'm about to um, melt on the road. Could you give me a little more detail <laughs> on that? Yeah. Okay. Any other myths? More to tell us about? Yeah. So. Um, there was another video going around of, uh, particularly in China, where I think it was the car company BYD. They've got these big graveyards. They call them graveyards of these brand spanking new vehicles, and sort of making it look like the um, the problem was electric vehicles. But no, it's actually when you if when you look at the video from an objective point of view, yeah, it's actually more talking about Ponzi schemes. Because the video does make a bit of a mention of, although it's not focusing on it, um, rideshare schemes with bicycles. And this video shows mountains and mountains, massive mountains of discarded bicycles. Okay. It's it's incredible to see. It's it's um I mean, it's big enough to lit to technically be called called a hill if you covered it in dirt and grass. It Crikey. would be it yep. would be a hill to to drive over. Um but these are Ponzi schemes because uh, the companies are getting um, financing from the government to make these cars. So they make the cars, register them so it looks like they're being sold, and then and then dump them. They don't have to sell them. So is the subsidy giving them more than it costs the car to be manufactured? Well, the interesting thing about the car manufacturing thing is that I think it's uh, this year or next year is about roughly when the cost to make an um, an ICE vehicle compared to an EV um, crossover. So they cost the same to make. Okay. Well, that's interesting. But I mean, this this kind of reminds me back to I'm trying to think now. Was it 1989 and 1990? What I'm about to tell you might not surprise you at all, but in my teenage years. I covered my bedroom wall with articles that are cut out of the Christchurch press because on Tuesdays, they must have had a Tech Tuesday thing too, way back then. Okay. Because yeah. I cut these articles out of the out of the Christchurch press and they'd have a computer section on that day. And out of the many, many, many things, I, pl- I blue tacked to my wall. Blue tack. Oh, there you go. Great. <laughs> I, I had a um, an advertisement for a Hewlett Packard LaserJet 4. And the uh, size of the um, advertisement was roughly a third of the page, maybe even a little bigger. And they were shouting that it was only $5,000. Wow, great deal. Yeah, well, if you adjust for inflation, that same printer will cost you a little over 11 grand today. You could buy something with um, equivalent functionality for a little over 100 bucks. Yeah, but you'd spend that much on the ink cartridges, you know? Oh, no, I'm talking about time. laser printer. Um, I know. I'm just, yeah, yeah. just trying to have a cheap shot at a joke. That's what that was. Oh, sorry. You need to work harder on that. <laughs> yeah. So it's not the same. Not the same. 
the point there is that yes, they were uh, expensive back then, and people still bought them anyway. Most people still had nine or twenty-four uh, or twenty-four pin Dometrix printers, but then of course the laser printer got cheaper and cheaper to make. Yeah, yeah, and and so it is with with any new technology that comes that comes along. So it's gone from five grand back in the day to equivalent now, $100. Yeah. Okay, so that's what we're talking about with the technology of EV cars. Is that the comparison? Really? Yeah. So how cheap do you think they'll get? Probably this, well, depending on how the world economy goes, you know, we could still be getting around on horses um, pretty soon anyway. But um, they'll come down and they'll just be the same as everything else. And they have dropped their prices quite a lot lately. Um, allegedly, it's because people aren't um, uptaking them. And I get that with government subsidies in order to try to encourage people to buy them, I think that's kind of making it happen a little too fast because if you could think back to the cell phone analogy, no one was encouraging you necessarily to get one. And there were yeah. a lot of places where you couldn't use a cell phone and it was completely useless. If you were in a city, you were fine. But the moment you went out to the country, it had limited use. And you could make that argument with charging stations as well. But they're still coming along all the time. And one myth I come across is that you can't charge these cars at home. Well, I've been doing it for years. So um, who said that? Oh, people who don't own one. I mean, it's obvious that if you can plug it into the wall, you can charge it, surely. Well, what you use at home, um, basically it's just an 8-amp charger, so it's the slowest charging type you can get, but you can plug it into any 3-pin plug, and then you plug the other end of the cable into your car, and depending on what size battery you're trying to charge and how much charge was in that battery already when you plugged it in, it will be finished charging um, completely full overnight. Okay, well, that's perfectly acceptable, isn't it? I would have thought so. And I I um, log uh, how much it costs me to charge every single month and how far I drive. And going back to um, beginning of my records, I average around 1,500-ish ish plus or minus a bit kilometers a month yep and it costs between 36 to 45 dollars a month and that can be a combination or a mixture of charging at home and going out to use public charges as well the ones that's you pay not, for that's not too bad not bad at all that's a lot of distance for not too much exactly um and yeah as i say public charges are coming online all the time more and more and more of them what about maintenance for them? Is that well developed now? Um, I probably spend more time just making sure the air pressure in the tires is right, because you don't have to go and change spark plugs every ten thousand k's or whatever. You don't have to do regular oil changes. I mean, you do tend to have um, you can have a, a simple gearbox where the manufacturer decides uh, what the ratio is. Um, you know, uh, compromising on a balance between speed and speed um, and distance, those kinds of things. So I think the leaf takes about one litre of oil, which lasts for ages. And of course, it doesn't need to be um, 
it doesn't need to be real oil it can be synthetic 100 right. synthetic the piles of cars that you talked about because i think it was reported in a way that what that they just couldn't be sold and it showed that there was some sort of loss of confidence or an overestimation of the market that's how that media report was couched if i remember rightly yeah and if you remember last time i talked about planned obsolescence we had this issue way back in the early 1920s when um gm were trying to come up with ways to get you know they were refreshing their models annually to encourage people to go buy another one so you know that was the planned obsolescence thing so um that's when things hit saturation point and that was the problem they were trying to solve and and so now uh, manufacturers are dropping their vehicles because you know back in the days of the recession the people tended to keep things they already had and made it last longer and squeeze as much life out of it as they could you'd also want to take stock out of the market that you thought you might not be able to sell yeah right you just want to take it out i think volkswagen did that maybe with the golf or one of the models similar to the golf anyway any more myths oh yes um some people say that you can't recycle the batteries well you can actually repurpose batteries as well actually the most common use for these is that people use them for their um, solar setups so when you want to go off grid then your solar array not only powers your house but it charges your battery so that if your um your solar array is not helping you out very much then you've got storage in your battery that in these batteries come out of a you know come out of a battery pack uh, for cars um there are i think toyota actually very lately have announced toyota new zealand i think it is right have announced um about this kind of thing about recycling of batteries we've got here in new zealand um places like upcycle.co.uk and ecycle.co.nz did i say .co.uk you did that was a slip of the tongue i mean upcycle.co.nz okay um i got my wires crossed in my head somewhere so to me that's a bit of a non-issue as well and individual cells and batteries can be repurposed when um uh a battery may degrade after a very long time in a vehicle you can tend to take out the old um, battery pack and stick in another one and it depends on how interchangeable they are you can for example with a earlier leaf get a battery pack out of a later year leaf and bolt the thing in you tend to have to get a translator to fool the car that it's got a um, bigger battery than it had when it came out of the factory originally but you should can do it and right. a Christchurch company called EVs Enhanced they are doing some sterling work in this kind of area where you can and they're making a battery pack that would give older leaves about 500 kilometer range when they never had that from factory and you can put that into an existing car so you have to tell the car or fool the car that it's got a new pack in it. Yeah. So you're you're, you're kind of fibbing to it. But hey, it lies. But hey, what would it know? It's only got a computer in there. You just you just lie to the computer. It happens all the time. It's funny that they don't make it easier for you to do that, isn't it? In the manufacturer's interest, it's not hard actually. Um, you could, if someone delivered an alternative battery pack to you at your home then um i've read about people who have done literally this in about two hours they jack the car up 
sticker on axle stands and using hand tools, you know, um, socket sets and things like that. You unbolt the existing battery, take the covers off, and you lower very gently the um, battery pack you're taking out. Right. You pull it out from under the car, slip the other one and jack it up, and then attach it. But, of course, you still need that translator, um, which they're not that expensive, um, 100 or so, but I, I'm not certain on the price. But it's it's um, it's kind of like playing with Lego for adults. Yeah, yeah, but your average person can't do that. Steve, well, yeah, you know that. Well, the average person can't change the oil in their ice vehicle either, and they're going to take someone take it somewhere else. Um, well, they have to do, find someone who, who's techie who can do that. Like change you. oil or change a battery? Yeah, or change the battery. Yeah, yeah. it's you it's change the oil. That's easy enough. Well, hey, I've rebuilt a, a, a petrol engine, so I'm sure changing a battery in an EV is um, I could do well. I'm drinking. sure you could do it. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure I could handle that. All right, just a minute or two left. Anything more? Um, another big one is that um, people spread photos of what lithium mines look like, and they typically have massive holes in the ground. Nope. Usually that is a photo of a copper mine. Um, oh, okay. In, yeah, in yeah. Peru, if you, you you can easily do a reverse misinformation, misinformation, you can do a, a reverse image search on the internet and find the origin of that photo. And on the twenty fifth of November two thousand and nineteen, even stuff reported of a Telpo company who successfully extracted lithium from Jumo thermo fluid. Okay. Uh, the company's the company is called Geo Forty, which was founded in twenty ten. And they never had to dig a massive hole in the ground to get the lithium out. So whenever you see photos of massive holes in the ground to say, this is where your lithium comes from, well, sorry to burst your bubble on that, but no, it probably doesn't. Okay. So beware what you distribute. Yeah, yeah, and what people are saying. Okay, so anything else to know about EVs? Um, you might want to go check out a New Zealand website called leadingthecharge.co.nz. It does list several other myths um, and helps you sort of understand a little better about EVs. Yep. Um, so don't buy into the negative hype about EVs unless you're willing to look at the way you interact with your environment already. That was very interesting and probably very timely. Thank you, Stephen. All good. Now you're going to see a rush of people who are thinking, oh, maybe I should go out and get an EV now. <laughs> Turning over a new leaf. <laughs> Either that or I'll elicit a whole bunch of um, uh, hate, hateful responses. Who knows? And anything that comes in, you'll read out, right? Yep. Good, bad, or indifferent. Good, bad, or indifferent. All right. Tech Tuesday with Stephen Sykes. And Stephen, we'll see you back next Tuesday. Thank you. We'll see you later. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.